Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is the writer Ashley Ford. We had a really great conversation. This one's a little long, so strap in. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank Thinks for sponsoring today's episode. For those not in the know, Thinks is the period and patriarchy-proof underwear that replaces tampons, pads, and cups on light days and is the perfect backup to tampons and cups on heavy days. You might be asking yourself, is this too good to be true? Are you pulling my chain? And the answer is a big N-O. They really work. Head over to SheThinks.com and get $5 off your first order with the code MANREPELLER at checkout. Okay, let's get into it. You know, Tumblr in and of itself is sort of about, like, you know, curation of a certain kind. And some people have done it really well. Mm -hmm. You know, like Kim Drew, uh, who did the Black Contemporary Art Tumblr, and she's the social media, um, I think, director, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, But she works in social media for The Met. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. And that's, like, true wonderful curation right like if something's on her page to me it's worth looking at right at the very least and there are other people's tumblers who very much consider themselves curators and it's like oh you just like the color white yeah like this isn't actually something really well curated as much as it is like you just have a certain like ken folk magazine (laughs) attachment to a certain kind of right. like aesthetic and you just put up some like tags and filters and stuff and, and that's how you find it and it's not to me that's different like mm-hmm. that's just that's the same as vision boards yeah versus curating right which is mostly I think about exposing people to the best of something right and then recontextualizing things that might have gotten like left yes. behind Yes, that's an important component yeah. that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to. Right. But yeah. it's important. It's it like, I, I don't even know that I'd ever really thought of it out loud that way, but that's exactly the one, the curation that I am most impressed by and most enjoy has that element mm-hmm. always. Yeah, yes. that's cool. Uh, so where'd you grow up? I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana? Mm-hmm. Where in Indiana is that? That is in basically the northeast corner okay. of Indiana. Okay. Really easy to get to Ohio and Michigan mm-hmm. from where I live. Well, did you have a lot of reason to go to Ohio? No. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about Ohio is, is that it does have some really interesting museums. Yeah. So as a kid, I did go there uh, for something called COSI which was this really amazing interactive museum for kids about like the body and oh. about like all sorts of cool things. That which sounds amazing. I used loved. to love going to those. Yes. Yeah. So we went to this really amazing museum when I was in, I think, fifth grade um, to COSI. And then... Isn't it crazy how those trips stay with you? They stay with you forever. Like as soon as I said it, yeah. I remember yeah. like m- so many moments from that trip. Um, especially the McDonald's that we got to stop and get uh-huh. on the way home. And then when I was in college, I went there again for um, the Underground Railroad Museum when I was in a multicultural leadership class. Oh, cool. Well, what was it like? Uh, what was it like growing up in Fort Wayne, in Indiana? Fort Wayne. Yeah. It was, you know, I remember it being 
despite the fact that I had a tough time as a kid, mm-hmm. I loved my city. And I thought my while you were city, growing up, in, while I was growing up, that's rare. It is very rare. Yeah. Um, but I love my state, and I love my city, and I still do. I recognize now that um, my place for the rest of my life is not there. Right. But yeah, I, I just feel like I grew up in a place where um, there weren't many things I was unaware of, mm. but there were many things that. I was able to sort of um, be shielded from mm, in a mean? certain way. Like, I I definitely lived in a town where, you know, people talked about race, mm-hmm. people talked about gender, people talked about all those things, but I didn't live in a place where I, like, even though it was in Indiana and people have certain ideas about what it's like to grow up in Indiana, I didn't grow up in a place where I ever was like, I can't be in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And part of that was that I grew up on a, spe- on a specific side of town that was mostly black. Yeah. And went to school with kids who were mostly black. And when you grow up like that, I think it's really easy to think of racial issues and things like that as apart from you. And as something that other people have to deal with somewhere else and you know that it's wrong and you know that it sucks and you know that like you know especially a kid like me like you want to like be an activist about it Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I went to school went to college around mostly white kids that I Mm -hmm. started actually feeling things like microaggressions because it wasn't something that felt like it really happened when I was younger than that right what kind of kid were you growing up I was Precocious, but um, you know, I was reading Romeo and Juliet in the third grade. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, the kid that I was a member of the Boys and Girls Club, and when people who would possibly be donors would come to like get a tour of the club, they would always have a kid give them the tour, and I was usually that kid for the club. Yeah. Did you love giving those tours? I loved giving those tours. I loved meeting people who were doing jobs I couldn't fathom, like lawyer and doctor and engineer and all kinds of things. You know, I got to, um, one of the people that I got to give a tour of the club when I was a kid was Colin Powell. Really? Yeah. And I got to do those things because, you know, I had a good command of language. Mm -hmm. I, you know, said what I thought and felt totally comfortable holding a conversation with an adult. Yeah. So I was that kind of kid. That's so cool. Where did that come from, do you think? I think it came from a few things. I think it came from reading early. Mm -hmm. I was, reading was very much encouraged to me by my grandmother and she would buy me, you know, a lot of children's books and things like that. And I loved reading. I loved it. And I think reading made me feel powerful in a way that I did not feel mm-hmm. in the rest of my life. You know, um, How so? I grew up very much feeling like the adults in my family wanted me to think my thoughts and feelings didn't matter. Hmm. and wanted me to feel like being a kid meant I didn't really have opinions or thoughts or feelings. 
which I knew was untrue mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. I was a person, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> and I knew that I was feeling things. Giving tours to Col- uh, Colin right? Powell. Colin Powell. I knew I was feeling things and having thoughts and opinions, and their version of me was so inconsistent with my rich internal life right. that um, I was always kind of um, at war, you know, in a certain way of really demanding that I be allowed to be who I was, like Mm -hmm. demanding it on like a daily basis and also wanting to be just accepted and wanting to be loved for who I was and wanting to, you know, have somebody tell me I mattered. Right. And you think books were like a major fuel for that? They were absolutely a major fuel for that. For a long time, the only fuel I feel like I really had for that um, were books and hearing like these amazing stories of little girls, you know, or boys doing things that seemed that I felt capable of, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. I mm-hmm. felt perfectly capable of it. And even if I never got to prove it, um, I still wanted to hold on to the feeling that it might be an option for me. You know, when did you kind of formulate an idea of what you wanted to do? with your life or Mm, I think like most kids who are sort of like starving for a certain kind of validation and affirmation Mm, um (laughs) you just you know what I mean like you know what I mean I do I do you just you just start to like veer towards the things that adults who are nice to you say you're good at yeah and so when A teacher who I loved, I mean, loved. When she, when I wrote like these poems for a class project and she pulled me inside and told me that those were the best poems she'd ever read while she'd been a teacher from a student. Um, I was like, oh, well that's what I do now. (laughs) You know, like I was like, that's what I do. Completely. You know, and then when I got to high school and I was in plays, and the director was like, you're so good at this. You're just, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, well, this is what I want to do now. Right. You know, and the through line is storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's really what I wanted to do more than anything else. It still is. It's funny, you know, like, so many people I've talked to doing these conversations, so many people always bring up certain teachers that just oh, yeah. have, like, pushed their lives in a certain direction. Yes. It's so crazy, like, what a great teacher can do for you. It's the difference between a whole different life experience. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I should not, statistically, nothing about my life should be the way it is, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, statistically. Coming from a young mother, a young black mother in the Midwest who did not have a college degree, who upon finding out she was pregnant with her second child also watched her husband go to prison. Um, Who, as long as I lived in her house, never made more than $32,000 a year with four children. I I absolutely should not be a development executive living and working in New York City who does not have children, who is financially stable um a little bit more than financially stable yeah you know what i mean like this everything about 
who I am and how I live my life now and what I have access to is improbable. So what I'm hearing is we got to pay teachers more money. We need to pay, like <laughs> yesterday. Keep, yeah. I don't know my anybody. My dad was a teacher. He was a sixth grade teacher my entire life. Who disagrees? That's what I really want to know. Who disagrees with the idea that we should be teach- paying teachers more? I don't know of anyone who's ever been like, nah, they make enough. Like, I've never heard that in my my life. My dad was a teacher for over 30 years, and he also had to have a job on the side, too. Yep. So many people do. You know? So many teachers do. And it sucks because, I mean, that, that is the truth of my life, that, you know, the people, the adults specifically who forever altered my life were either... My grandmother, mm-hmm. um, my mom, mm-hmm. in certain ways, and teachers. Te- like I felt safe with teachers until, of course, you know, eventually, especially as a girl. Yeah, you know, things change, and I, I your the, teachers can't be a certain thing to you anymore. I remember the article that you wrote about uh, your one teacher giving you that Kenny Loggins tape. Yeah, <laughs> it's an yeah. amazing story. Yeah, I mean, and Kenny's still very important to me. I don't know if you noticed, (laughs) but he, you know, like, it's that teacher specifically, you know, when I think about being a writer, how could I not think about this teacher who saw me hanging around the halls of the school well after we had been let out of school, realized that I maybe had a good reason I didn't want to go home, Mm -hmm. and said... You know, you can't just hang out in the hallways, but you, while I'm working after school, you can come in here and I'll give you a newspaper and then you have to write a story or a poem about something you read in this newspaper. That's incredible. You know what I mean? Like, and that just, and I would be like, does it have to be exactly, you know, and he would be like, no, it just has to be inspired by it. And it doesn't matter what comes out. It's just whatever inspires you to write whatever you're going to write. Yeah. And that's how I started writing, you know? And it was this wonderful, beautiful thing that this person who, to be perfectly honest, owed me nothing after 3 p.m., <laughs> like, gave to me because he could recognize that, like, I was in a weird, odd place mm-hmm. and was feeling a little, you know, centerless. And he helped me find a little bit of a center. And it changed my life. It absolutely did. It's beautiful. It's just those kinds of things that just open up your brain. Yes. And, you know, exercises. That That's, you know, like I went to film school. I think that's the best thing to, you know, to going to art school or doing any, you know, just it just like forces you to keep doing what you're doing. Because yep. it's really hard. And I still struggle with this to this day. Like, it's hard to force myself to do things. Yes. <laughs> you know, because it's, it, you know, uh, some people, there maybe there's some people who are just like savants and just like, you know, sneeze it out. But like, it's just a, pr- it's a process. It's a real fucking process. Sorry. No, no, you can curse. Okay. Yeah, like, it, but it is yeah, a fucking process. It's a real fucking process. <laughs> it, it just, it makes me um, both so grateful for the opportunities to continue to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also sometimes just drives me up the wall. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you have a path that you wanted to follow? I don't know. I think, I think I've always, you know, I'm very pragmatic, like more so than I think people realize, um, especially people who are close to me. Um, I, I think in my head I always have a plan. Mm-hmm. I just also, the evidence of my life would suggest 
that it is good to have a plan, mm-hmm. but it is better to always be open to changing your yeah, plan. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree so with that. So I don't know that I necessarily, I don't know that I necessarily had a path I wanted to follow. Um, I think I had people I was inspired by. Mm-hmm. Who were those people? I mean, you know, you mentioned teachers, your mom, your teachers. Um, was there anybody else in, like, in popular culture or people that you oh, were? Yeah. Absolutely. Popular culture-wise, I mean, I believe the Oprah show started six months before I was born. Okay. And it has been on TV my entire life. (laughs) You know, it didn't end until I was 25 and I was like sitting on a couch watching the last episode and crying. Um, But I've been, I feel like I've been directly and indirectly following the story of Oprah Winfrey, Um, not just of her success, but just of her realization of being a person for many, many years. And I think that somehow along the way, whenever I came upon certain challenges in my life, um, like Oprah was there. Yeah. (laughs) Oprah was there every time. Um, I feel like when I was in high school and having, you know, like a really hard time trying to figure out, you know, what kind of person I was and what kind of person I wanted to be, mm-hmm. um, especially as it pertained to the way I interacted with books and words. And, oh, like, that was kind of like the height of Oprah's book club was when I was in, like, middle school, high school. Okay. And so my family, my mom and her sisters, you know, being also obsessed with all things Oprah, it's like the thing that started to get passed around in the family was whatever book was on Oprah's book club. Right. My Aunt Trina would buy them all, mm-hmm. and eventually everybody would have borrowed them. Right. So I was reading all the books that were in Oprah's book club and realizing that, oh, you can write stories about people that aren't like, you know... Like, that was when I realized I didn't have to be Shakespeare. Right. <laughs> to be that's perfectly a, honest. That's an amazing realization to have at a young age. Yeah. You know? That was when I realized I didn't have to be, I didn't have to be Toni Morrison. I mm-hmm. could, maybe, if I worked hard enough, you know? Right. But I didn't have to write just like Toni Morrison because the books in Oprah's book club, for me, were always just so different mm-hmm. from each other, mm-hmm. but always good. Mm-hmm. So, and Oprah loved them. You know what I mean? And but it's so also, I, yeah, I mean, it's also kind of taking away, like, when you, you know, when you're reading something like Shakespeare or Toni Morrison and, you, you know, you're trying to figure out, like, oh, how could I do this? I could never do this. Like, this just seems right. like a mountain <laughs> I could never climb. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really hard thing, I think. It was a hard thing for me to get over in terms of, right. like, choosing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Because you, you, when you love something so much, you just you elevate it, and it just yes. it seems so impossible. It seems so far away. But then when you see stuff, and you that first moment, you're like, oh, I, I could do this, right? That's so that's such an empowering moment. Yes, and know? it's not that like it's less than it's no, no, just no. it's just more so that it's like that feels accessible mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. and it's still beautiful, right? And I still love it. 
So what does that mean? You know, right, so that exactly. was probably my first instance. And then, you know, I mean, everything from just people she's had on her show who I like watched and loved and like wanted to like learn more from to to the fact that like, I mean, when I was at one of the lowest points in my life, I was in college and I was supposed to move into a certain place with a friend. It The place ended up falling through at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any money. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was still in school. And I finally found a place that would like let me pay my deposit late. It was a place that'll let you do that is obviously crap, even in Indiana. Like it was a really, really, it was like this damp, terrible, like basement room. The basement flooded all the time. And a family I'd nannied for, I asked them to help me. Well, I asked if I could borrow their van so that I could like get my things and move into this place. And the dad in that family insisted on helping me move. And I didn't want him to because I didn't want him to see it. Um, but we pulled up to the house. We walked down into the basement so that he could figure out where we were going to like bring things in. Mm-hmm. He walked down there and he was like, this is where you're staying. This is your room. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I'll be back. He left <laughs> with the van and all my stuff in his van. He comes back and he goes, I just talked to Becky, his wife. You can't stay here. You can move in with us. Wow. And I was like, no, that's okay. You know, like I was totally trying to play it off. It's not that bad. You're being ridiculous. And he was like, you know, you know, my like man, he had a man cave in like their basement, which was actually a finished basement. Mm-hmm. That was like really nice. Oh, I grew up in a finished basement. Right. I love a good finished basement. It was basement. like, it was really like, oh, it yeah. was nice. It had a separate entrance and mm-hmm. like everything. And they were just like, you know, he was like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not even letting you take things out of the car. Like, you're just going to have to come live with us. Yeah. That's a beautiful experience. Yeah. But I did that. And, I mean, he left all his, like, TV, you know, like, all that stuff down there, like, in the man cave, which was now my apartment for, (laughs) you know. um, But he left all that stuff down there. And the day I moved in, the next day, Oprah's Network launched, um, owned. Mm Mm-hmm. So for the first week or so that I was there and classes hadn't started, all I did was watch um, programming. And there was so much that just like, it was just so relevant to like where I was in my life and what I was going through and how I was trying so hard to build a life for myself um, that would be right for me mm-hmm. to be that like just something I could be proud of and I felt like I was just getting you know knocked down at every turn and then all of a sudden there were all these stories of like basically trying to build something and like do something that makes you proud and getting knocked down at every turn and how right. you can survive it yeah and so I know it's like cheesy like to say Oprah but it's like I really have felt as though not just her programming, but even like her life has been so consistent mm-hmm. with my story. Yeah. And it just, it buoyed me. I, I don't think that's cheesy at all. I mean, there's yeah. a reason she is who she is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, yeah. So, so, so when you were leaving high school, what was in your mind? What, what did you want to do when you're getting ready to 
you know, was college something, someplace where you're like, I'm going, I have oh. a school in mind, I want to go to do this thing? Like, you know, what was that experience like? I knew I was going to college because I had a boyfriend at the time who would have broken up with me if I didn't go to college, oh, to wow. be perfectly honest. He, you know, came from a very, from a family that felt a very particular way about education and things like that. And, you know, for him, it was, he was raised with the idea of like, there's no version of your life that includes you not going to college. Mm. And I knew that my family would be really excited if I got into college and then they wouldn't really care whether I went or not as yeah. long as I got a job and like did okay. I knew that if I went, they'd be proud of me. But if I didn't go, it like my family's very working class. Like it wouldn't have been a big deal, mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest, if I had not gone to college. But my boyfriend wanted me to go. So I applied to the college that I thought he wanted to go to, and then he ended up taking a year off and not going to college after high school. It's like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, and I watched him go through like that year of not, of working and not being in school, and I was like, not me. Yeah. And I applied to the only college um, outside of Fort Wayne whose campus I'd actually been on, which was Ball State University. I knew they had programs and all the things that I was thinking about doing. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking about going into public relations, so that was like the major that I put down when I applied. And then almost as soon as I got my little like course catalog and saw the classes I would have to take, I switched my major. To what? To a double major in apparel design and fashion merchandising. Oh, okay. And then I switched again and again and again until eventually I got to English. That's cool. Yeah. Well, you got to figure out what you want to do when you know what you don't want to do. Yeah, I, I mean. Think that's a great approach. Oh, Lord. My life is a practice <laughs> in just the process of elimination. Yeah. You know, you try things. And, I mean, it's worked out for me. You know, now I have a job that I adore, that I truly love, that I would, you know, I go to and... It, it buoys me like it makes me feel like I'm getting away with something by mm -hmm. having this job um, but I've had a lot of jobs yeah. <laughs> and I was their character is character building it's character it building is. it is it helps you figure out what you do and don't want to do it helps you figure out a lot of things about yourself as a worker and yeah it's like so many of the things I struggled with at other jobs I do not struggle with at this job mm -hmm. and I think it's just Part of it is learning to do better. And it's also, I find that it's like, it's fuel to just push yourself further because like, I remember, you know, my first jobs in, on film sets when I would have having to like lock up a street. Yeah. I.e. meaning preventing people from like walking to their home in their neighborhood, you know, yeah. being in like Park Slope at like 5.30 on a Friday, standing in front of the subway and like telling people they can't come out of the subway. Yeah. And I'm just like. I'll just, I'll do whatever I can to never have to go back never. to that. Never. Never. Yeah. But you need that. For well, me, I needed that, you know? For me, it's call centers. Call centers. I worked at a call center once, and it was, it was so depressing that I used to go home after work and just get in bed with all my clothes on. Like, <laughs> even my shoes. 
Like I couldn't even be bothered to undress myself. Yeah. Because I was like that depressed. That's a deep depression. It was yeah. deep. Yeah, that's a deep depression. So I'm like, I'm never going back. Like I'm yeah. never, I don't care what I do for the rest of my, you know what I mean? Like hopefully I get to do something in the vein that I want to do, yeah. but I'm never going back to that. So what did you end up, so you ended up landing on English in, in college. And, yes. And, and when you kind of had that realization, what did that do for you? I definitely did not know what the next step was going to be post English degree. <laughs> um, I, I, feel I like didn't. A, there, I feel like there are probably people that have English degrees that probably don't put it to use. Well, I mean, to be per, I mean, in full disclosure here, I don't have my degree. Oh, okay. Like, I never got to finish it because I didn't finish a, and I actually recently found this out, to be perfectly honest, um, that I don't have my degree. Yeah. Uh, because I didn't pass my. Spanish, my last Spanish and history courses with high enough grades um, to actually get the degree. Right. So I'm going back to school oh, really? uh, in the spring, yes, <laughs> um, to finish those. That's amazing. But I, I didn't really have like the what I'm going to do. Like I had a lot of plans, which is what I do. It's like I, I make a plan and I like look at it long term and I start on that plan and at some point – I go, mm, this isn't going to work for me, or I like this isn't working for me. So I make a new plan. And that happened with English, too. I mean, by the time I was done at college, I had at one point considered extending my time so that I could actually get a nursing degree. Um, but I loved it. Like, I didn't want to quit English. I wanted to get the English degree. Yeah. And then, like, go back to do the second BA right. and get the nursing degree. You know, it's... I just, I think a lot of that was fueled by fear, you know? Yeah, because what, what, what did you do when school was done? When school was done, I used my background as a part-time AmeriCorps um, worker, mm -hmm. which I did while I was in college. I did AmeriCorps. I used that background to get jobs um, working with nonprofits. Okay. So I moved to the big city, Indianapolis, mm -hmm. Indiana, and I got three part-time jobs, um, all of them working for a nonprofit. That's how you got to do it. That's how I had to do it. I used to, uh, I used to be the video fellow at Creative Time for a couple of years. Really? Yeah. Did you love it? I, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I got to, I made a bunch of like great documentaries of the projects they were doing. Yeah. You know, I was living here when the Kara Walker's project was over here. I got really? to make a documentary on that project with her. Really? Uh -huh. That's amazing. Yeah. She is like, there's a couple, there's like two people in my life that I've met that have like that blend of just like power mm -hmm. and humbleness and lack of ego yeah. and warmth and funny and like humor. Yeah. You know, they just have like every incredible trait in this like beautiful mix. It was her and uh, Gloria Steinem. See, Gloria Steinem was on the podcast a couple episodes ago. I didn't know that, yeah, but that doesn't that surprise me. Yeah. But it's that same awesome. it's that same thing where it's just like they're like you know just I'm like you you look at her work and you're like you you have like such a crazy amount of power. Yes. And then you you know you're sitting across from them and you're just like but you, you have no sense of ego about yourself. Because it doesn't <sighs> I think powerful people understand that that sense of ego like that thing is Number one, like a mask for insecurity, actually. Oh, it's a total distraction. It's like, hey, look at this. Look at it's this. It's a huge distraction from actually doing the work. Like, I'm a creative person. Mm -hmm. I, I write. 
I'm like working with people in like film and web series. I, you know, do some photography. Like I do these things. I love it. I love it. I love it. But if I let, if I let the perception I want for myself to get ahead of the work, the work suffers. Of course it does. And it Because you have to give all will. of yourself to the work. You have to give all of yourself to the work. And it's hard. And, you know, like, it's not, it's definitely not easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm lucky. I have a partner who understands mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm an artist first. It's I have a job yeah. that understands that I'm an artist first. You know, most of my friends understand that I'm an artist first. Right. So I, I've created this little bubble, you know, with people who get that and understand that. But it's strange whenever I go outside that bubble or when I like meet people who have, you know, not been in this bubble with me before because it's the same thing every time. Like I always have people saying to me, like, I expected you to be more like, you know, you know what I mean? And I'm like, (laughs) I like some people are like that and it's natural and it's cool, you know, and that's totally great. And I love those people. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. but I'm not that kind of person because that behavior from me would be A, disingenuous, right. and B, it would keep me from hearing you. Because in your mind, you're like, okay, what's the next thing I say? What's yes. the next move? Yes. Being strategic rather than like being true. Yes, and I think that, you know, I just had a conversation with someone not too long ago where we were talking about like this conversation about around like around the word authenticity and around like you know which is a very Oprah word don't get me wrong like she uses that word a lot but also you know like I I do interviews and I do these and people go you know well how do you remain authentic online like you talk about mental health you talk about your body you talk about all these things and I don't know sometimes how to say because I feel like it's going to sound like I'm saying the same thing over and over on like every in every interview or podcast I do which is there is no strategy Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know there's no strategy like I don't get I don't wake up in the morning and think how am I going to be most authentic today I wake up in the morning and think what do I want to do today right what do I have to do today yeah you know what do I have to do what do I want to do and you know, what can I do today to make tomorrow a little easier? Like, that's all I think about, to be perfectly honest. I think, I do think about what I put out there as far as, like, how it might affect other people. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely, I do. I try to be thoughtful and compassionate in whatever I put out into the world. But as far as myself, myself is just myself. And the truth of the matter is, like, there's never really a try. Like, it's more of a... I'm really bad at pretending. Yeah. Like, that's it. I spent a lot of my life hiding from not just other people, but hiding myself from myself. And I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And, and I got tired a few years ago, pretty exhausted of it. And I just don't want to do it anymore. That's a great place to be at. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Pardon the interruption, but once again, I would like to thank today's sponsor, Thinks. You've probably heard about them recently, especially since their founder and creator, Mickey Agrawal, was our guest a few weeks ago. 
Full disclosure, I have never had my period, but if I did, I'd imagine that I would be thankful for things coming along. They are designed to absorb up to two tampons worth of blood, and they've got built-in technology that wicks moisture, fights bacteria, and stops leaks in their tracks. On the comfort and fashion side of things, they are super thin, so they look and feel just like a regular pair of underwear, which means it doesn't feel like you're sitting in your own blood in a diaper. You've heard all about them, now's the time to try it out. Head to shethinks.com and get $5 off your first order with the code MANREPELLER at checkout. Okay, back to the show. I, uh, yeah, like, no, I, had to, I was dealing with some very serious, like, anxiety issues for years. Oh, my God. And I resisted medication. Because mm. I was like, I don't want to be on medication every day. Yeah. I don't want to ruin my brain. That's yeah. where all my ideas come from. Yeah. You know, like, if, you know, I've gotten this far, like, if I, you know, I got to tell you, like, a year ago, I started going on a anti-anxiety medication, and it changed my life. Yeah. In that I'm like... I feel like myself again. Yeah. And the only thing I have to say is like, I'm just mad at myself that I didn't do it sooner. Yeah. I'm actually, this is so funny that you're talking about this <laughs> because I, I have pretty bad anxiety. Yeah. I had um, a panic attack yesterday and the effects of it are still, you know, all over me. Yeah. I feel well, like. Well, congratulations for um, coming over here today <laughs> because I know. I know what that can do to you. That's yeah. That can do to you. It prevents you. You sometimes feel like a prisoner. You do feel like a prisoner. You feel like a raw nerve. Everything's on eleven, mm-hmm. right? Like every email is like, yeah. like if you get that email wrong, it's <laughs> the one that's gonna ruin your life. Yeah. And every, you know, even like on the way here, um, my, because I was just walking and following my Google Maps, and Google Maps just crashed and it wouldn't open. Yeah. And I was like. Like, I had this moment standing on the block knowing that I was no more than two minutes yeah. away from this place. I still had this moment on the street where I thought, I could just stand here all day. <laughs> like, I could just stop. Yeah. And that might be better than to keep going. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and yeah. I had that thought. And then, but I know I'm lucky that now I totally get how much anxiety and depression lie to you and that they are liars. Right. But it's, I mean, I, I can't pretend that it's not still hard. I today ha- will have my first, um, I'll have my first session with a new therapist. Mm-hmm. And there's part of me that's like, just ask her for pills. Yeah. Just ask her for something to help. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be forever. Nope. You know, I've been on meds before mm-hmm. that I was on, you know, when my grandmother died, I almost immediately went on Wellbutrin to sort of like help me get through that time. And then when I felt like I could, I got off of it. Right. You know, just to see how I felt. And so far, so good, except for very recently. Yeah. Not so good. So... You know, part of me is like, just ask her for pills. The other part of me is like, don't bring it up unless she brings it up. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other part of me that's like, you know, bitch, don't even go to therapy. Just go lay down at your house. Yeah. You're thinking about this too much. You're thinking about it too hard. You're blah, blah, blah. Well, because you know? that's, th- that's the problem with like those kinds of issues. You tell yourself, this is just in my brain. I can outthink this. Yep. 
I, I'm I'm a smart person. I'm very capable. I can outthink this. This is I can I can just I can just shut this out or I can push it away. And uh, when I realized I couldn't do that and 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 like gave into the help that I needed, it was the best thing that ever happened. It helps. You know, it does. Like I feel like myself. I feel like myself. That's all I wanted. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> like I mean. I, and not in like a, a bad way, but just like, I think, especially for creative people, especially for artists, it's so hard for us to do anything that we feel like compromises that identity. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people feel like taking care of your mental health as an artist can be a compromise right. to the work right. and to your identity. And I think, you know, first we have to be humans, you know? And the thing is, is that I I, may, I, I am so much more productive mm-hmm. when I'm taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. As much as I think people want to glamorize the mania, the anxiety, the you know, like the neuroticism, yeah. you know, it's like, you will be more productive <laughs> when you're actually taking your care of yourself and you'll be productive for longer. I don't want a creative moment. I don't want one object that I sacrificed my sanity for. I want a creative life. Mm-hmm. I want a whole journey and I want this shit to go for as long as it can. Yeah. And I'm not going to be able, the honest, the honest answer is that I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm not taking care of my mental and emotional health, even though it's hard, even though, you know, like I've had a terrible past two days and I'm sitting here in front of you and we're having this conversation and I might cry. Like I'm, I'm seriously like I might cry, but, and I know that that's the case. I know that that's true, but I also know that I can help me by asking for help. Yeah. 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 And that there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. And it doesn't make me less of an artist. Nope. It doesn't make me less capable. Nope. It makes me responsible. <laughs> Look, if you do, if you have a stronger foundation, you can build the building higher, as high as you want. Yes. You know? Yes. And that's what I want. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to touch the sky out here. Yeah. And not because, I, not because, like, I want it to be me. When there's a picture of somebody touching the sky, I want it to be me. Like, I'm not driven by that. Like, I, I never have been because it just, like, it seems fleeting. Yeah. I am driven by, like, a life's work and the idea of building a life more well, than the, anything that's else. That's the healthiest way to look at it, right? Because I think sometimes when we're trying so hard to make something happen, it's just like, this is it. Yes. And if I don't do this, well, it's over. Yes. And it's n- that's not about that. It is, it, you, you know, you articulated perfectly. You know, it's about what are you trying to say over this period of time? Yeah. When you look back, what do you want to look back and see that you did? Yes. It's not that, like if you do this, if that doesn't happen, that's okay. That's going to lead you somewhere else. Yes. And everywhere you go, it's going to be great. Yes. You know? Yeah. I, I think that we truly, you know, if we're open to it, like those avenues for your next best thing are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like they're everywhere mm-hmm. if you're like just available to it, if you're open to it, if you don't shut things out. You know, I spent so much of my life thinking, 
oh, I'll never do this. I'll never do, you know what I mean? I, I always had those thoughts. And when I let go of them and was really and truly open to just the possibilities of my creative life, mm-hmm. everything happened. Yeah. Every, I told myself I would never move to New York. <laughs> I'm not kidding. What, you just you were like, I'm not going there? I didn't want to come here? You didn't want to come here? I felt like so many artists who were moving to New York were trying to move to the New York of Dorothy Parker. Yeah. And I... A million percent agree with you on that. <laughs> and I felt so aware that that was not the New York that existed for artists today. Right. That I just couldn't imagine why anybody would come here to live an artistic life. It's more expensive. Uh-huh. It's, you know, like... Like so many, like for quite a few, I just couldn't fathom why that would happen. Well, it's just like there's so many creators, there's not an audience. Yeah. There's more people on stage. Yeah. Than, you know, There seats. are more artists yeah. and critics yeah. than audience. Like yeah. that's how it felt. Yeah. And, um, and at times that's how it still feels. Mm-hmm. But what happened for me was that in Indiana, I had all the room in the world. I had all the space in the world to create. Mm -hmm. What I did not have was the community. Yeah. Coming here gave me personally, Mm -hmm. and I don't think this is what everybody needs. You know what I mean? It's not a blanket statement. But for me personally, coming here gave me the community, especially the community of artistic black women that I did not have access to in Mm -hmm. Indianapolis. Um, and that in so many ways was the game changer for me. Like, I feel like so much of what I do is to make those women proud. Mm -hmm. And we don't see each other every day. We don't even see each other every month. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like that. But when I create something that they feel proud of me for or that they feel like is important for women like us. It, I mean, that for me is everything. Yeah. Yeah, you need those kind of benchmarks like that you need yeah. to hit. Yeah. You know, you need to, you know, it's, I think it's always good to have like an audience in mind when you're making something. Yes. Because it just, it's just, it's going to push you to be the best version of yourself. Yes. You know? They're my audience. They're different in so many ways, but they are, but they all have the most lovely spirits that's beautiful that you're able to find that here yeah you know it's the game changer for Mm -hmm. me it was the catalyst for me yeah you know so now every part of my life that i feel like is going extremely well except for you know the part with like my partner Mm -hmm. (laughs) but every other part of my life i feel like is so um has to be grateful yeah to the fact that I did this thing that I thought I would never do, right. which is move to New York. <laughs> well, one of the things that, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was reading some some stuff that you've written was, you, you you have a desire to look back. Yes. And. Uh, you know, understand and recontextualize things that have happened. Yes. Where does that come from for you? Being silenced, as yeah. a kid. Um wanting so badly to get right the story I wasn't allowed to tell Mm -hmm. about who I was and what I saw and what I wanted. Um, 
I think that's where it comes from. It's just like, I feel like that, that little girl, the person that I was, um, and am in a lot of cases, but you know, I, I feel like I owe her Mm -hmm. such a grave debt because she built me and she survived so that I could live. And I feel so grateful to her. And I also feel like my life's work is making sure that all the little girls like her have something to point to and say, I'm not alone and I will be okay. And I can and will survive this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting, like, that once your work kind of takes on, like, a bigger purpose like that, like, how much, like, how much uh, more energy you can, you can take oh and put God. into your work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, those are the things that work, to be perfectly honest, is what makes, I don't want to say it's, like, it's, it's. Like, it is what drives me, mm-hmm. but more than that, physically, it, my hands shake. Right. You know, my, I tear up. I, my, my voice thickens with emotion. You know, it's, and that happens because so much of it is still in here. Right. To be perfectly yeah. honest. I mean, it might never leave. And it might not ever leave. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Like, it's not something I'm trying to rid myself of. I do not create as an act of ridding myself of things. Right. You know, like, I, I, first of all, that doesn't really work for me. Well, no, I mean, if something happens to you, it's there. Yeah, it's, it's there. It's there whether you want to pay attention to it or not. Like, it's, it's there. It's there. So, you know? yeah, so that's not why I create. But I do absolutely... Um, I do absolutely create to connect. Mm -hmm. And does that, does that play into just like, I also see like a through line of just raw honesty and everything that you write. Yeah. And just, you have to be honest to connect. I think. And those connections are stronger than anything else. Absolutely. You know, you can, you know, you can make, you see, sometimes you see things that'll get passed around, but it's like, it's junk food. Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's like, okay, here today, gone today. Yep. What's the stuff that's like really enduring? Yeah. You know? And that's what I want. Yeah. I want to create something that endures in such a way that it, for someone it might become a blueprint, mm-hmm. you know? And I also want some to create things that, yeah, I feel like. I feel like being honest and being, you know, what people be like, oh man, it's so raw, it's so real. You know, like a lot of times it's just being like, it's just standing in the middle of your truth. Right. And for me, nothing ultimately bad right. has ever come from standing in the middle of my truth. But see, but that's the thing. It's not, it's not raw for you to say that it's raw for other people to read it and yeah. then deal with those feelings for themselves. Absolutely. Because they're not confronting that. Yes. You know? Yes. That's not and on I, you. But I also, I think uh, personally, I think 
I can't feel bad about it because it's like if you let it happen, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be a better person. Yeah. Like I think there are some things you know like. I think people avoid certain things, you know, when people like make the joke about like folks being woke, like, but part of it really is about the fact that like, once you're like actually woke to something, you, you can't go back to sleep on it. Right. Like you can't sleep on it. And I know that people avoid certain things for that reason. I like to hope that every once in a while, the things I write, wake people up in a way that they did not expect and also in a way that they can't rid themselves of. Mm -hmm. That's what I want Mm -hmm. to endure. Yeah. And I think I specifically want that so badly for conversations around girls and their lives and their bodies and their voices. And how does that play into, I know you're doing this, this new project matter studios. Yeah. What, how does that play into that? What exactly are you trying to do with that? Well, one of the things that we're doing at Matter Studios, you know, if I talk about my job specifically with web series and documentaries, um, is that I get to go have conversations with filmmakers who have very niche, voicey ideas that I get to ask them the question, why does this matter? And why are you the person to make it? Mm-hmm. And if they have a really satisfying answer, I get to then say, how can we help you with that? Right. Whether that be money, whether that be editorial help, whether that be, you know, connecting you to certain people. That's you know, an amazing service. It's... Uh, to provide. I mean, and it's not that we're the only people who provide that service, you know, to budding you know, like screenwriters, filmmakers, yeah. you know, whatever. It's that we are made up of creatives. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, like creatives who are good at business, especially our COO. Um, but we are made up of creatives. And not only do I get to go to someone and have that conversation with them, if it's the right project, if it's the right time, if, you know, we have room for it, yeah, at, for like on the roster. Yeah. Not only do I get to like have that conversation with them, but then I I also get to like hand them a contract that is probably unlike anything they've ever seen before, because our contracts are made in a way that is fair to artists in like what is truly an unprecedented situation. Um, because we are not necessarily trying to find the project that makes us a billion dollars and does nothing for the artist. Mm-hmm. We are trying to become a company that is known for partnering with artists and helping them maintain a certain level of autonomy, helping them maintain a certain level of ownership over their content and idea, mm-hmm. and also helping them create like things that other people say are too niche or doesn't have like, you know, a big general audience, helping them create that thing and make it in a high quality way. When we were talking earlier about filmmaking and about people who sort of make like this shoddy stuff and like, but like it shines anyway, what we would love to do is say, you know, instead of you making that like thing sort of shoddily on your own, let's take it to the next level and let us like help you make this thing as beautiful as your vision. Right. 
And at the end of it, like we, you know, depending on the project, we also have like bespoke contracts. So it's like at the end of it, even if we own the IP, which is not always going to be the case, the conversation that we have with the artist is, you know, and the language in the contract is, we can't make decisions about the IP without you. So I can't just take your idea mm -hmm. and sell it to Netflix behind your back right. and cut you out of the deal completely. Yeah. I can't take it to HBO. I can't take it to YouTube Red. I can't take it to these places and like just sell it without you. I have to have that conversation with you. And not even just like I'm forced to, but like I wanna figure out the best way for this to go for you too. So for me, <laughs> I'm loving everything the way you're saying right now. This is just this is like a dream here in this. Exactly, because it makes more sense. Because that also just makes for a better final end result. It makes for a better a better final end result, a better ongoing relationship yeah. with the artist yep. on a project by project basis, and it also we believe puts better art into the world. 110%. Which is very important to us. I mean, that's the most beautiful, to me, my favorite thing about like filmmaking is, it's just you get to collaborate with all these different people that yes. are so talented yes. at all these different things. Mm -hmm. And you take all of that and you build this superhuman monster mm -hmm. that's just, there's nothing like it when everybody's just doing their best. And that also includes the producers, the production yes. company. All, you know, like all that stuff affects how how the how the what the end result a hundred percent and when it's this person versus this you know you hear all the time directors be like oh well the studio took it and then it's you know and then i don't i i have nothing to do with this anymore i think that's a cop-out a lot of the times it is often a cop-out you know Sometimes they just don't want it genuinely does happen yeah but, but a lot of times they just don't want to work with, like they're just right. like oh, it's dead in the water i no longer feel passionate right. about this so i'm no longer or you know what or i'm no longer making money off of it right so meh, it should this happens sometimes right. and it's like that's not what we want and i and you know to like to bring that around uh, how like you know my feelings about you know art and voicelessness and stuff like that feeds into that i feel like being an artist you are taught to be grateful mm -hmm. for anybody wanting anything to do with your art even though you've put heart, soul, time, resources, money, all this stuff into it. And then when somebody's interested, I'm just supposed to be grateful they're interested. Like that's, to me, that's like, it is another way to cut off the voice of someone who really needs to be heard. Right. Which are artists. So I, I think that's sort of like how that all plays in is like, I just, you know, I, I'm always gonna be a person who roots for the underdog, and I'm always gonna be a person who speaks up for the voiceless, mm -hmm. you know, or teaches, you know, them to get in front of me and speak, like, whatever. Like, it's going to be something along those lines. And I think the reason I took this job, the reason why it was so important to me was because it was a job that wanted to try and do things in a better way. Mm -hmm. Well, do you think that you can grow that way while still maintaining your original like ideals? Well, you know, right now, this is a very interesting part of the process, but like, <laughs> you know, we've had this conversation before and we are not a company 
base who is basing our success on scale. Mm. We're not a company who's like, well, we want to be this big by this time, right. and we want to be this big by this time. We are a company that goes, how long can the seven of us do this? How long can the seven of us commit to these projects, make them happen, and put out like high quality, amazing stuff? And we're lucky because we are in a position where our funding is not dependent on growth as far as the team like our funding is dependent on how good is the shit yeah that we're putting That's out a dream into scenario, the world man. it is a dream scenario and it's also really hard to talk to other people about especially artists you know my mom always used to talk about how someone who hasn't been loved well will always be hard to love because they they're just not familiar with it so they don't know what to do and you know we still run into issues with artists who literally are like i can't work with you because it sounds too good <laughs> to be like yeah it sounds like there's something here i'm not getting i'm sure of it so right. i'm just like not gonna and that's really sad it's sad but that's <laughs> i mean that's a problem too i mean so, i have a lot of friends or you know or people i know that are just so talented and they're their own worst enemy yep. they just get in their own way over and, and over. it's like, man, if you could just if you could just focus on this just for a little bit of time, yep, you'd be unstoppable. Yep, you know. Yeah, it's so frustrating. It's hard. You know, for when you see people where it's just like it comes, they're just like oozing just natural talent. Yes, you and know? you're like, please, just please. <laughs> one of my best friends is like that. Um, my be one of my best friends, Spencer, is this amazing, gorgeous performer and beauty maker and makeup artist and so many wonderful things and yeah. writer like also an amazing writer like everything just comes easy and but, but the fear of failing often keeps spencer from finishing yeah. anything yeah and i it's really hard for, i fail all the time yeah. i fail all the time and i just i think you have to finish some things and fail and understand that it won't kill you. Mm -hmm. And I, but you have to cross that hurdle yeah. at some point in order to be successful. I know. Well, what are the things that still, um, you know, get you excited and inspired? Hmm. Hmm. So many things, <laughs> you know, I just, I'm, I feel lucky to still very much be tapped into, you know, like my inner child. Mm -hmm. So I just went to the movies and saw Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh, I want to go see that. And thought I was going to lose my mind. Yeah. Also saw the trailer for a movie called um, A Monster Calls, which is all we're, we're going to watch the trailer as soon okay. as we're done here okay. because now okay. I have to show it to okay. you. Um, that also looks that way. Like I... I will always be inspired by uncommon beauty, mm -hmm. by creepy, whimsical, like lovely things. Like that's my, like if I had an aesthetic for the world that I would <laughs> love to see it in, yeah. it would be some combination of like Kubo and the Two Strings and Coraline. Okay. You know what I mean? Like to be perfectly honest, it's like in my mind, that's what will always sort of give me a kick in the ass. Mm -hmm. That's always what will push me forward 
is the idea that things can be powerful, magical, beautiful, sincere, and really fucking lovely. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what are the things that drive you to keep going forward when you find yourself in a tough spot? The memory of my grandmother. Yeah, how so? Um, she's a tough bird. She was really fucking tough. Yeah. Um, maybe some really sharp edges, but ultimately a survivor um, who... It's weird. She inspires me in two ways, and one's positive and one's negative. Okay. The positive is... <laughs> the positive is she was tough. Yeah. And she survived a lot. And she was, you know, she could be very independent and self-sufficient when she wanted to be. And all of those things. Um, the other way that I'm inspired by her is that I think when she passed, she had a lot of regret mm -hmm. for all the things she had never done because she was too scared. Yeah. Um or because she thought it was just common sense. And so I question common sense a lot now. And I also realize very much that I don't want to die saying I was gonna do this thing in six months. I thought I had another, at least another five years. And I, you know, that was a thing she said to me. I thought I had at least another five years. Oof. And I had plans for those five years. I don't want to be, you know, like, I, I always want, like, I'm going to have plans. I always am, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but I don't want to, I've always wanted to see Italy. <laughs> I don't want, my boyfriend and I are saving, we're going to go in the spring. Amazing. Finally able to do something like that financially. And I just, I don't want to be the kind of person who was like, I always wanted to go to Italy. I always wanted to see it. I always wanted to go to Iceland. I always wanted to go here. It's like I either want to be currently in pursuit of it mm -hmm. or I want to have gone yesterday. Right. Like that is how I feel about my life. Right. Everything I want, I am currently in pursuit of. And that comes from my grandma, you know? So even as far as my job, as far as like my creative works, all of it, I am in pursuit of it every day. Whether I touch the thing every day, I am in pursuit of it every day. Mm -hmm. I think about it every single day. And that comes from the fact that like, I just, I wanna learn from what she felt like was her mistake. What are the day-to-day -day fears and stresses you deal with and, and, and how, do you, how do you power through it? I always fear that I'm not being a good enough friend. Yeah a good enough worker, mm -hmm. employee, um, a good enough artist. <laughs> I know that the only reason I fear not being good at those things is because they're so important to me. Um, and I think day to day, the way I challenge that is active by like doing things that make me feel productive, that make me feel like a good friend, a good mm -hmm. girlfriend, daughter, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, but also having some straight talk with myself, which is sitting down it's and hard. thinking. It's so hard. It's really hard. It's so hard <laughs> to sit down with yourself and go, 
you know, this thing you keep telling yourself about how you suck at this, let's look at the evidence for a second. Let's just stop and look at the evidence because you know what the evidence says? You don't suck. Yeah. So this lie you keep telling yourself, your story, this story you keep telling yourself to basically give yourself an excuse not to try, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Try again tomorrow. Yeah. And I have to have that straight, tough talk with myself that says, you know, you're not special. Not that special. Yeah. Like, yes, like a story can be special because you tell it and no one has your exact same experience. Yeah. But you are never so special that there is an emotion you're experiencing that somebody else in the world hasn't experienced. Mm. It's not happening. It doesn't exist. It's true. I have to remind myself that. People survive this shit every day. You can too. Ashley Ford, thank you so much for coming over today. Thank you for having me, Jay. This was amazing. This was great. Awesome.